This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 36. This is Writing Excuses, Languages and Naming. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm... Okay, I'll tell you my name. I'm Howard. I'm Mata. <laughs> she won't make you work for it <laughs> like Howard does. Languages and naming. So, um, I would say the number one question I get, usually from younger writers who come through my line, is how do you name things? Mm. So... I'm going to actually point this at you first, Mahatab, because I think they've probably heard us answer this question. How do you come up with names for your stories? Well, I consult a lot of websites, um, especially I start with baby names, but Sanskrit is also a really good source um, because really, I mean, writing for a North American audience, uh, and since most of my books are published in English, even if I threw in a few Hindi words, it would seem like, you know, exotic uh, but for example, in the third eye, I used the word zarku, which is, it means in Sanskrit, it means evil, which is, so I would, I would do Google translate and take key words of, uh, you know, which personify the character that I'm naming and try and find the right word, play around with it. Um, you know, just, as I said, Google some interesting names and see, and, and, and say it out loud to see what sounds good. Reading, for starters, you should all be staying through the end of the credits of all of the movies you see. Uh, but reading 
the names on the credits uh, is a great way to read a bunch of names that you're probably unfamiliar with. Um, it's also a great way to realize that, wow, you know, portions of this film were, you know, produced or managed in, I think that's Southeast Asia. Uh, or, you know, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of Indian names. Um, and, and I like that. I like seeing that in the, the films, but seeing that variety opens me up to, to naming things because the, I mean, the, just the way we name other human people is hugely diverse. Now, you were talking about one of the naming conventions you came up with for one of the races in Sherlock Mercenary. Yeah, I, um, the role-playing book, uh, the Planet Mercenary role-playing book, um, one of the things that we realized is that if people are going to role-play, they're going to want to be able to name their characters. What are the naming conventions for these different species of alien. And, and the, the first thing that I did was panic because you know, how am I going to come up with uh, seven different naming conventions? Um, uh, the second thing I did was, well, I'm going to start subtractively. And so I looked at my own language and said, all right, they will never have some of these sounds in their names. And I used a different set of subtractions for each of them. Uh, one of the groups, uh, one of the races, uh, all names are 10 syllables long. They are all 10 syllables long, and this is how the construction works, and this is where the accenting works, and this is where the pieces of the names come from. It was still, uh, it was uh, familial, which is something, you know, we're all familiar with, um, but it created these names that just looked incredibly alien, but after I knew how to build them, I could suddenly rattle off 10-syllable names uh, very quickly, uh, and, and it, made them, it made them start to see, seem real. And I think that's, for me, the most important aspect of naming and language stuff in world building, is that once you have some of the words that your aliens or your monsters or your whatevers use— um, they become different than you and they begin to develop their own voice. Yeah, and I think a key part of that that a lot of, as you said, especially young writers are overwhelmed by and 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 is making a lot of those decisions, they can be meaningless or random at the point where you're establishing those rules. Um, as long as you come up with something that is cons- internally consistent and that is different it's going to feel cool, and the readers don't necessarily need to know, oh, he just pulled those letters out of the alphabet at random and disallowed them, or you know, how, however it is that you're building these. You don't have to overthink that initial process. There doesn't need to be some kind of divine foundation for where these names come from, as long as you come up with consistent rules that sound cool and unique. And the uplifted, the, sorry, the uplifted polar bears in uh, Planet Mercenary, um, what I said was, you know, the first two generations of uplifted polar bears uh, is very common to give them uh, Inuit names, uh, you know, Siberian names. Those were those were very common. And then the polar bears realized you're just naming us after the humans who live near us. That's awful. And so for two generations, all of their names were noises people couldn't make. Um, and now 
their names are, you know, a little more, a little more blended. Uh, and the whole reason for that was so that I could tell the joke of, you know, some common Ursamari names are, uh, you know, Jones, Ketchikan, Hrong, uh, with, and, but as I was writing it, I realized that's probably exactly how the bears would do it. Um, it's also a very good idea to borrow names from other cultures. And I, I you know, to point out an example, Avatar, it, it still sounds weird in my mouth because it is basically Avatar in, in Hindi, which mm-hmm. is just a version of, and most gods and goddesses in the Indian or God, Hindu mythology uh, have various forms or various versions, which are avatars. So when I say avatar, it's like, that is not the correct pronunciation. I keep, <laughs> And the other thing that I also remembered was sehelu, which is the, the bonding of the horse and the person. It's I thought it was spelled differently, but I looked it up. It's spelled T-S-A-H-E-L-Y-U, but it sounds so close to Saheli, which is a friend in Hindi. It's just, you know, a friend bonding. So you can use existing words, change the spelling, change the pronunciation, and you have a I mean, totally this is, different word. Yeah. And this is how language works. It really does. Like my my son was assigned, um, they're doing a, a Christmas uh, thing at school, and they, they said all the kids are going to say Merry Christmas in different languages. And he came to me and said, I chose Korean. How do you say Merry Christmas in Korean? And I'm like, Merry Christmas. That's what they say. <laughs> now, I <clears throat> there is actually a way to say it in Korean, but it, I had to go look it up because you know, when Christmas time was around, everyone just said Merry Christmas because mm-hmm. even though it's, it's not in Korean, it's a Western holiday, they just use the English words. Yeah, we um, borrow stuff from yeah. each other all the time. Um, yeah. I will say, following from what Mahatab said about kind of borrowing words and names from, from other cultures, use a really wide variety of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a world map for a fantasy series that I wanted to put together. And I realized after I had kind of named... 15 or so nations on this map that most of them were kind of the obvious this is based on German or Welsh or maybe some Russian if I was feeling saucy. And why did I not have some more Southeast Asian, some Chinese, you know, a lot of these other completely different sounds that are not as European and not as obvious that we tend to to skip over. One of my favorite things we're on a side tangent here, but with making maps mm-hmm. is to think about who's making the map. Yeah. Um, because if you make the map, that country's names for all the countries in the world are going to be that country's sized, that mm-hmm. country sized. Um, like, you know, we call Korea, Korea, right? Yeah. And in, in Korea, it's Hanguk. It's, you know, the Koryo dynasty was years and years ago, but that's the name that stuck for us. And all, all countries do this, right? Yeah. Um, they don't call us America. They call us Miguk. Um, and that's just how, when whoever's making the map is going to use their biases to create all of the names for all the countries. And that is a lot of fun for me uh, for world building aspects. Because a lot of those names will come from, you know, the first person that they encountered from that region Mm -hmm. or like, you know, with Korea, whoever was in charge at the time we decided to codify the name. It is important to be careful with this. The apocryphal possibly story of uh, Games Workshop uh, sending their materials to be translated in German and the uh, Germans coming back and saying, okay, 
we need to work on naming with you because you've literally named the villain villain. <laughs> you've named the hero hero. You've just you're yes. taking those taking those words from German and naming them as your characters in English because you think it sounds exotic is not going to work well because it spoils the surprise for everybody <laughs> here who can read German. Yeah, um, well, which, which is why I, I liked, again, what Mahatab yeah, said about mixed- changing the spelling, changing the pronunciation. Use it as a base and then make it your own. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Let's stop for our book of the week. Yes, and I would love to recommend a binti by Nedi Okorafor, and I hope I'm not butchering her name, but it's a novella. An excellent mix of African culture and science fiction, and it centers around Binti, who is from the Himsa tribe. Um, and she has been offered this uh, this place in this university. Um, it, you know, it's called the Umza University, which is a place of higher learning in the galaxy. But to accept this, she has to leave her people. So when she does, and against everyone's wishes, against the family's wishes, she decides to go. But the one thing that she takes with her as as something to remind her of home is this earth, which she, which uh, the Himsa people tend to apply on their hair and their skin. And it turns out that this is something that helps her when there is a war that the university is with, with the Medusa people, which is an alien race. And I'm not going to, again, give away the ending. It's a short novella, but it's beautifully written. Uh, it's As I said, it's a very good mix of um, an African culture, science fiction, and a must-read. Uh, one that yeah. the Hugo and the Nebula. Yes. Uh, and it's yes. free to read on Tor.com, I believe. Uh, maybe I, it's not free. It's, I don't think so. Yeah, it's I, actually one of the Tor.com novella programs. Um, okay. But it is, a, it is a novella that you can get um, uh, very cheaply online um, and well worth the read. Excellent. Excellent book. 
Um, let's uh, stray a little bit um, from naming toward language conventions. So let's talk about conlangs, which is kind of the word for constructed languages that you use in your books, or um, your own kind of feel on how to use dialect um, or jargon in your stories to kind of um, enhance the authenticity or the world building of your story. So how do you approach coming up with languages and things like this? But let's start by saying that we did an entire episode on conlangs with a ling- linguistic professor last year. So for a much more full discussion, look that up. Excellent. <laughs> but now I got nothing. Okay, so I, I can... I can start because I was very taken up with Dothraki, which was uh, um, invented by David J. Peterson. And I was listening to a TED talk of his in terms of how he came up with it. So what he said is he used the text that George R. R. Martin wrote and he used certain words. He kind of broke them apart. So words like Kal and Rak and Hajj. Khas, which is consonant, vowel consonant, he kind of used that as a base and then he developed a language. Of course, there is a lot between using those words and what mm-hmm. he came up with. Uh, but just writing for younger readers, I think one has to be very careful because large paragraphs or large texts in a very weird language could actually pull the reader out, which is why I appreciated, you know, just a few words of uh, parcel tongue in the Harry Potter movies mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just, just a couple of words here and there because you do not want to trip up younger readers. And if you do come up with interesting words or made up words, I would read it out aloud just to see if you're tripping up, which is what would happen with the, with or if phonetically you're saying something you don't want to say. say yeah, <laughs> um, One of the tricks that I look at is uh, uh, it, it's primarily for naming things, um, but uh, if you're if you're making up a language, uh, English readers. I don't know if this is a problem in other languages, but I know it's a problem in English. Uh, English readers will tend to conflate foreign-looking words that all begin with the same letter for each other. You have, you know, you have three six-letter names that all begin with F. <laughs> They're all going to be kind of read as the same person. And so you may want to find a set of rules for your language that allows you to have different first letters. That's a, And it's a silly sort of constraint because, you know, you may have a language where all of the first letters are the same. Every word begins with F. Orson Scott Card has a really great essay on his website about naming where he talks about this sort of concept, um, varying the length of the names, varying the, you know, some of them being sounding like a like a word, like, you know, calling someone um, bean as opposed to calling someone an ender, which will ways the different names stick in people's heads. It is, it is well worth reading. But uh, with regard to language specifically, um, if you are going to be dropping snippets of your uh, alien, foreign, whatever, made-up language uh, in your book, um, having the words, let us be able to tell the difference between the words so that if one of those words shows up later in a chapter heading, maybe we'll recognize it as a word we've seen before. And maybe that's a plot point. You know, maybe it's a significant touchstone for us as readers. There needs to be a reason for you to have gone to all this trouble to construct your own language. Um, I, when I'm building books, um, 
I'll use a couple of different styles. And it's going to depend for me on how much time I want to spend with the language being a source of conflict. Last month, we talked about this idea of cultural setting as conflict. In some of my books, the fact that people don't speak the same language or that the ways that their linguistics works informs the way they see the world becomes a conflict in the story, or at least a way that characters are not quite understanding each other or that cultural expectations are being expressed. And in those worlds, I spend a lot more time on my world building and my language. Um, I am not a linguist. Uh, fortunately, my editorial director, Peter, is a linguist, and I've taken enough classes that I can be dangerous in this field, so to speak. Um, but you don't need to be a linguist to be able to do this. Um, I I really do approach it results-oriented. Why am I doing this? Like Howard said, what is the function of this in my story? Why am I, um, why am I having this happen? Uh, in the Stormlight Archive, I have one character who uses a lot of words in a different language, and it is to reinforce that his culture is really important to him, and um, the way that he sees the world involves giving people nicknames from his language, which really changes the way that the reader and the other characters interact with this character and has is, is been wonderful for, for using that, those linguistics. But the actual linguistics don't matter as much to me as what the role, the role they're taking in the plot. You know, dialect or using certain words can also help you, help give you a setting a, a time, like for example, feed uh, by M. T. Anderson. They use uh, you know words like unit, which is you know wow, or this was really meg, uh, you know words like this, which was which though the book was written in two thousand and two, it was an indication that this is a society in the future. And um, I was I was just reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, one of the lines that uh, Miss Mandy says is, "Mockingbirds don't do one thing except make music for us to enjoy." People don't normally speak that way. So if you use a dialect or if you use a certain way of putting words and the order in which you put them could also help you describe, you know, whether it's it's southern uh, U.S. that you're talking about or, you know, even in India, there are so many dialects. By using it, you can you can say so much more without saying it because that's the way the people in that area talk. Excellent. We are out of time on this episode. Howard, you have our homework. Yes, um, you are probably familiar, uh, fair listener, with the way human beings name each other. We name each other after our progenitors. You know, we have we have first names, we have last names, um, and they all sort of run in families. Uh, come up with a naming convention for aliens or you know, fantasy, fantasy races, whatever, come up with a naming convention that has nothing to do with family and is completely, completely different. Completely removed from the way that we completely do our naming. Completely removed from the way that we name awesome. each other. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, 
which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.